But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Welcome back inside the Booty and the Beast podcast. I am your host, fitness informant, founder, CEO, Ryan Buckeye. Excited about the podcast this week. You guys have seen that we've been bringing in business leaders and leadership teams from across different sports nutrition brands within the fitness world. Uh, And today, you guys are going to hear from the new chief revenue officer, I believe. You don't even ask him on the podcast. I believe it's chief revenue officer. I made the mistake. I called him the chief operating officer on social, and that's not his technical title, but chief Revenue Officer for Cage, previously known as Cage Muscle. Aaron will be on, Aaron's got a plethora, like a a rich history in sports nutrition, which he walks us through, spending the most of his career at a small brand you may have heard of before, Nutribolt, also known as the brand who created C4. And he spent, I can't remember the amount of years it was, but so you take somebody with that amount of expertise, You get an opportunity to chat with him. And then, you know, as a brand like Caged, who is, you know, they're a mature brand, but they haven't, they've kind of been like in this, this no area, right? Like they're not really sure. Do they want to go major retail? Do they not want to go major retail? Are they just going to service their direct to consumer customer, which they do basically better than anybody else in the business. And Aaron then comes in, seizes an opportunity to A, one, be with his family more, which I respect the hell out of, uh, but two, also, Grow something again, right? He was there from from day one, essentially, uh, of the Nutribolt days or early on in those days and, and helped build that baby into what it became, uh, became and then left to go to Cage uh, to manage that brand or work within that brand and the fine people, Michael, Brian, Darren. I mean, there's a good, good plethora, a good crew of people over there. And since he's been there, and he's been there for six months now as of this podcast, New product innovation, uh, the, the the refresh re- relabels, which which was going on before he got there, but um, you know new partnerships in specialty retail, FDM is growing, just a lot going on. So really excited for you guys to sit back and learn a little bit more from Aaron, talking about you know obviously his 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 early days in minor league baseball to running some GNCs to then eventually finding a, a role with Nutribolt and then now uh, with Cage. So this is what we're doing. I mean we've been on a roll with podcasts lately. We're trying to keep them coming as much as we can. My life just continually gets busier and busier informed today that the Fitbitters brand uh, received an in-person meeting with Meyer. If you don't know what Meyer grocery store is, they have about 240, 250 locations in the Midwest. Something that we have done a really good job on at Fitbitters is really grow the distribution and, and grow the footprint from the East Coast to the Midwest, but where we're not a lot outside of Vitamin Shop and potentially a new retailer, which we're going to get to announce here soon, is more the the Western states, the West Coast, which is going to be a, a big goal of mine in 2024. Uh, 2023, I came into the goal, I came into uh, with Fitbitters and said, I want to grow Amazon and I want to grow distribution with uh, with more FDM channels, and we're doing exactly that. So when I put my mind to something, we, we definitely do it. 
On the fitness informant side, things are great. We, uh, we're we welcoming a couple new brands that we're working with. We're really excited to welcome in Astroflave. If you guys have not heard of Astroflave, it started as a brick and mortar only brand. Uh, Jersey Shore Supplements out on the East Coast. Really cool, really good team out there. Unlike some brick and mortar only or, or, or store brands or in-house brands, like their formulations are done very well. Their flavoring systems are phenomenal. They were a protein first, flavor first company when they started. They still put a huge emphasis on both protein and flavor uh, and we're excited to start working with them. Uh, you know, we're in talks with, with, with Nutrex now that Chris Waldrum's over there to potentially start working with that brand as well, which I'm excited about. And then obviously we have, um, you know, our Rolodex of brands that we work with, that we trust, that we love. You know, you can find those brands at fitnessinformer.com. Click on the brands icon, take you over there to see exactly which brands that we work with. And when we work with brands, what that means is that we trust those brands. You can buy a supplement from those brands, whether it's a, whether it's a, a pill, powder, functional food, et cetera. And it's, and it's going to be good. Um, you know, and, and I've always said this, not one brand does everything extraordinary well. They do a lot of things well, a lot of individual things well, collective things well, but there's always something, probably a brand that doesn't, it doesn't do better than maybe a different brand. And that's the beauty of sports nutrition. That's the beauty of dietary supplements is you can shop around. So if you're an ambassador for for a brand like Bucked Up or whatever, I mean, I will tell you this. I encourage you to shop around. Try the competitive set. Try other brands' products because it only makes you a wiser individual when it comes to your personal health and wellness jersey, when it comes to your personal wealth journey, if you are an ambassador or an affiliate. One thing I tell our team at FitButters, our family, our FitFam is like, I don't care if you go and buy nuts and more, I don't care if you go buy American Dream. In fact, I encourage you to go out there and buy said brands because if these brands knock your socks off and you truly do like them more than us, then you should go with them and be with them or represent them because at the end of the day, it is a choice that I want made based on authenticity. If Fitbutters is not the best nut butter that you have had in your life, then don't rep us. Go to somebody else and there's no hard feelings at all. I want my team, our team, our family to understand what it is that we offer compared to the competitive set, and we've done a really good job at that. So as we line up more of these podcasts, uh, Danny will be back into the podcast booth here soon. My travel schedule is absolutely um, fucking insane. I am flying to Tampa next week to meet with Publix. We're launching into 1,352 plus Publix locations with three flavors of Fitbitters, Cinnamon Sugar Cookie, PB Cup, and Rory's Cookie Monster Madness. So I'm at a Publix convention early on. I get back. I turn around. I fly to St. Louis. I'm visiting S2. It's these supplement superstores owned by... um, Andy Versella and Chris Klein. They started that as part of the First Form family. I'm at a barbecue customer appreciation event there. I come back. I then turn around and I fly uh, to Grand Rapids, Michigan to meet with Meyer, have an in-person meeting with Meyer, which I talked about here earlier. Fly back hang out for a couple days, turn around, and then fly back to Los Angeles uh, for three days to visit with Simpson Labs, our protein manufacturer on Fitbutters. And then hopefully, knock on wood, I'm a little bit home for a little bit. But I'm going to try to get a backlog of podcasts recorded, some guests coming into the coming onto the show. And if I can grab Danny and say, Danny, let's do some podcasts here. So that way we can kind of keep these going on a more routinely regular basis because it's good for us, it's good for you, and we appreciate the support. If you like the podcast, hit that subscribe button, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, or however you get your podcast platforms. And do us a favor, if you have time, write us a review don't care if it's a one star five star three star any review is good just make it sure it's honest and authentic it does help out the algorithm so more people can discover this podcast and the great guests and wisdom that we are able to share at least we hope it's wisdom to share on the podcast so for now i am going to zip up shut up move on this is the chief 
Revenue Officer for Caged, my man, Aaron. going to help you get to where you want to be. Five percenters is five percent of the people in the world that are willing to do whatever it takes to reach their goals. We're talking about business, success, education, willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Cage was born of a need for premium health-focused products that actually work. We help you lift heavier, run faster, live healthier, and achieve your potential. You deserve to trust a company that doesn't cut corners, one that sources the highest quality ingredients. Welcome to Caged. Back inside the Booty and the Beast podcast, special guest this week, um, a, a world traveler. And I don't mean your career, because you spent a lot of time at a big company in which we're going to talk about. But if you look, if you're watching on YouTube, and we just talked about it before we came out here, we got some baseball stuff going on here with the, the, the makeshift brick wall, the Cubs gear, fly the W, all that bullshit. Because I'm a Brewer fan. We know that. Uh, it's interesting, because our last guest was Sal Frisella, who spent time in the minor leagues. You, my friend also spent time in the minor leagues. That, that's correct. Yeah. Um, you know, played uh, baseball growing up in Nashville, Tennessee, um, which is where I'm from. Kind of uh, raised there, went to McGavick High School, went on to play baseball at Western Kentucky University, and then uh, played minor league baseball in the Phillies organization for a few seasons. All right. So I, I'm interested because Major League Baseball, and I didn't talk about this with Sal. I want to talk about it with you because you're not with Cage. And Cage is really big on testing po- testing their products to make sure they're banned substance free. You're you're going you know like NFL Combine, college athletes, all these things. But yeah. Major League Baseball, it's been known for a long time. Like there's been use, there's been the Belco case, all this stuff. Was there temptation for you and teammates that you know? You not to speak you know specific names, but was there temptation to use when you're in that system trying to get to the big leagues? Well, it's a grind. I think, you know, the challenging aspect that I have, if I, you know, go back uh, 20 years ago now, but go back 20 years ago, you know, you're going from season to season. Mm-hmm. So if you're progressing and moving, there is no off season, right? You're going from high school ball to summer bat ball to college ball and then moving through. There's really no opportunities for recovery because you're constantly playing, you're constantly showcasing your talents, you're doing everything you possibly can to get your name out. 
I, I went to a relatively small D1 school. So for me, I was doing every showcase I could possibly do. So the temptation is, is not really about, around strengthening. It's around recovery. Right. Sure, like purely that's it for baseball players. Was it rampant? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, what, from what I saw in the locker rooms, absolutely. I mean, there's obviously testing going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, but yes, it, it, it was at the time. I mean, even today, I have to uh, assume that it's still prevalent sure. in, in sports. Sure. What's your personal take on that? I, I think it's funny. Like I'm a I'm an advocate of like human beings, adults. You can put whatever the fuck you want in your body. I don't care. I actually loved loved Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa in baseball. Everybody loved it. Like they let yeah. them know they're doing stuff. So two things: as as a former player, as somebody who's passionate about the integrity of the game, you may have one opinion. But then is the opinion maybe different as a fan? Like, do you think if regulated through a health network? that exogenous substances should be able to be used in professional sports? Well, I think because it's already being used, it should probably get to a place where it's more carefully regulated. So the challenge then is, are they using it appropriately, right? And so my concern is typically, at least now, is like the safety of players, the safety of these kids that are going to be exposed to it at a grander scale. From a personal preference, um, I never use. Uh, most people that know me, we joke about it. Uh, just the fact that I always chose to go the other way. I will tell you there was a lot of disadvantages to doing it. My body did eventually break down. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, that happens, right? Um, now, there are guys that are doing it that way and have made it all the way through. And, you know, congrats to those guys. But it is so competitive. And it's, it's such a such – a, um, just, just a um, grind, I guess, to – put it in terms, um, that it's hard not to lean that way. My, my, my stance on it has always been, you can do what you want to do and I'll respect you however that is, right? If the guy next to me is using or he's taking something for recovery or whatever it is, like that's his prerogative. For me, it's not necessarily looked at as an advantage. Like I just have to take care of my own. Um, but you know, that was just my take on it back then. Yeah. I just think it's interesting baseball, right? When you're at, when to your point, recovery is where I've always said, this is why they're taking it. Taking stuff does not improve hand-eye coordination to put the bat in the ball. If you do, you might hit the thing 480 feet. That's cool. But, like, you still have to hit the ball. Same thing with pitchers. Like, you still have to have control of that fastball to hit a strike zone. Um, You know, and it's interesting, just, like, that whole world, and now you're in this world um, uh, of sports nutrition, which, you know, some could say is the Wild Wild West at times. You guys do a really good job at Cage. You guys did a really good job at Nutribolt, which is where you came from. So let's back yeah, yeah. We're going to ask one more thing about baseball, then we're going to move on because I, I got to know about the fraternity of, of minor league baseball. I mean, you're married. You're We're not going to bring up stories from back in the day, but how much fun was the bus ride? I mean, maybe the bus ride sucked, but being with the boys and doing, yeah, doing, so doing that life. Different, completely different world, right? Yeah. And I think um, you know, while it's a grind on the field, it's a blast when you make those types of connections. You've got kind of lifelong friends. There is obviously a community of collegiate players, high school players that kind of move through those ranks with you. Right. Um, and it's, it's a great network. Um, the tough part is when that court is pulled, you have, you enter real life and what does real life present to you? And that, that was actually a really tough thing mm. for myself. I know for Sal and a few others, like, that is a really hard reality if you only had one plan to do one thing, which I will tell everybody, I never plan to do anything besides play baseball. I, somebody say, hey, what are you majoring in? I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm playing yeah. baseball. That's what we're going to do. But when you don't have that backup plan, you know, that is, uh, that's kind of when life hits you in the face a little bit. 
Um, what's cool is that there is that community to fall back into. Uh, I still text. I still talk to a lot of those guys. Uh, and even today, like coaching youth sports, youth sports is wild, man. It's super competitive. Um, you know, beyond what I'd ever want it to be, uh, for my own kids, even though I'm right there in the thick of it coaching them. Um, but they're making friends. And I think that's, uh, the, you know, the, the community aspect of it is what's so great. There's a commercial that Dwayne Wade was made famous and it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but you, you fall down seven times, you get up eight, right? Like I mean, I, yeah. when you think about it, you're like, what does that even mean? When you did not make the majors and you got, you know, you moved on from that life. Did you feel like you were a failure? Yeah, I think so, to some degree. I mean, it was just my dream. I think it was my dream to show that to my family that I could do it. And because I pursued it so hard, um, you know, and I got as far as I did, you know, I think it, it took a little while to kind of get my, my feet under me. And it was, it was more about figuring out, well, what am I going to do that can, you know, that, what, what can I do that I'm passionate about? What can I do that I wake up excited about? And you know, what got me into this industry was athletics because when I first went to Western Kentucky, I was like a 150 pound shortstop and I was put on a, you know, weight training program, had to gain weight. By the time I was a sophomore, I was about 185. So I gained 35 pounds, wow. put on quite a bit of muscle, but at the same time, I'd never really weight lifted. So it was like taking some supplements, your basic like protein, creatine, weight training, eating appropriately, having the right plan, like, and then I was just hooked at that point. And that's actually what got me into the industry because I liked it and enjoyed it so much that I was like, hey, I want to help other people the way I was helped, you know? What kept you from the majors? Uh, talent and durability. Okay. Talent and durability. I mean, is that, is that a hard uh, thing to accept? I mean, you're looking at your peers and you, I mean, coming out of high school, you're probably highly touted. You go to a D1 school, you make, you get drafted, you're getting the minors. Ego's got to play something in this point, Aaron, right? Like, I mean, you're like, I'm going to major. For sure. Baby. Like, and then just yeah. to be told that you're essentially not good enough. What's that? Yeah. I mean, we've all had it, but like for you, when you have no backup plan and you're, and it's the one thing that you want to do and they tell you that you're not good enough. How did you take that? failure that disappointment and use it maybe to your advantage well it's, it's interesting because even though i was I, I would say it was a very low period i don't think anybody actually felt that it was that low for me because it, it was almost like the next week i came back home flew back into nashville staying with my brother i have a twin brother staying with him and it's like what are you going to do next and i was like um i'm going to be an athlete in some way so i started competing getting into bodybuilding uh, and just doing that for fun, but that became a real passion project for myself. I and, uh, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. This is great. Yeah. I did. I did, uh, quite a bit of natural bodybuilding shows, uh, back then. I did a couple of NPCs, but you know, that, that was a tough rank for me, <laughs> yeah. but on the, on the natural side, I did really well on those shows. And, um, I had two, two natural pro cards, uh, with the WMEF and the, uh, NGA. Wow, um, man. and it, it was just like a little side hobby, but it was, what it did though, is it kept my mind right. Mm. And it kept me moving towards something else other than baseball. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't until honestly, until I had kids that I got back into baseball cause I kind of just hung it up. And then, you know, I had my firstborn son, John, who he's now nine. And, um, probably when he was four, four years old, I, I signed him up for like T-ball and I got, I got back into it started coaching. That's been a passion project, but you know, finding my way into the sports nutrition industry really came through retail and it came through some connections that I made, uh, back with, uh, back with Nutribolt, back with Woodbolt old yeah. days. Right. So back when they were really kind of just getting going. 
Well, let's 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 go back to that because so natural bodybuilding. Even you mentioned earlier that you're you're taking creatine and some supplements while in the minors and, and gaining weight, which or in college. Like if anybody knows, like high school, you think you got it figured out. And these coaches, like a lot of the, at least when I grew up, the coaches don't know don't really know how to help you gain weight till you get to college. You get to college, it's a whole different ball game inside that yeah. like, inside that clubhouse. Um, but talk about what were the supplements that you had access to back in the day, and like just just walk us. I mean, I'm assuming it's probably the, the world shittiest tasting whey protein if it even was whey protein just like what was even available to you so yeah at the time it was uh the, the school had a contract with like eas so we had eas protein um never forget, had, never forget eas baby never forget that brand yeah eas was big we had, we had access to some phosphagen you could get your hands on <laughs> uh, if you remember those but honestly like the first product i ever took was like the old like um i guess you'd call it like the nitrotech celtech stack from uh muscle tech back yeah. in the day right you had like the the jay cutlers and the dexter jackson's promoting it and uh that was like the first stuff that i took and that, that, those were pretty disgusting when you think about the original yeah. nitrotech celtech uh didn't, didn't taste good and then like i think the, the product that got me hooked was like the original no exploded cell mass mm. from bsn Back when they had like Ronnie Coleman and Triple H and all that, that was like a game changer in the clubhouse because everybody was hooked on No Explode. Yep. We didn't know what was in that thing. No one did. But no, but it was awesome, right? The, the original No Explode was incredible. For sure. I mean, it, it set the standard for pre-workouts. And I think a lot of people forget that. When we look about, we talk about pre-workouts, I think a lot of people who are old enough to remember probably gravitate to Jack 3D, right? Or whatever, however you want to pronounce oh, yeah. it. That's microdosing. Before that, no explode. They they had that category, um, yep. which is hilarious because you're talking about, you know, no explode being a pre-workout that ruled the category. Fast forward multiple years, you're at a brand that rules the category with the number one pre-workout by far in the country. So tell me about, you mentioned through retail, through some early connections. How did you get into this crazy fucking world? Yeah, so it, it actually started with a connection with Woodbolt, a guy named Eric Bryant, who was the VP of sales at the time. Um, uh, he had made a connection with me um, just through GMT. I was running six stores out of Nashville, Tennessee okay. at the Were time. You di- district manager? And so manager? Just, uh, at the time, it was called a senior store manager. So you basically had your home store, and you had like five or six okay. other stores that you'd oversee. So, um, and, and, you know, back in the, call it the old days, but back in the day, man, you could make your way into the supplement industry via retail if you were really good and knowledgeable and had good connections you could connect with supplement brands and eventually that's what i did and um they offered me a field level job like so you know lowest rung of the organization probably at one point yeah um and offered me a job to move to california from nashville living in nashville tennessee just got married just bought a house and i got an offer to move to san francisco at the time and i was like let's go do it right um and it's just because i enjoyed the space so much but um athletics and, and my connections there is what led to that even being possible. And you and I have talked off off screen and off camera about you know your your venture at what is now known as Nutribolt or more commonly seen as C4 for people out there or extend some of the bigger yeah. brand forward things, right? But you started in San Francisco, you built a team, you gravitated towards back to tech. Like talk, walk us through that because your resumes, for lack of a better term, man, it's fucking impressive what you did for that company early on in the stages before. Like we, you mentioned Muscle Tech earlier, like. Muscle Tech today is seen just like C4 Nutribolt is like what Muscle Tech was then. It's now almost a legacy brand, but you were there before any of that stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the time, we were just kind of getting going with GMT. Like we just established, you know, the keys to the franchise castle. So we're getting into GMT franchise in a big way. And, you know, GMT corporate was kind of in its infancy stage. We had, we had started to develop what was uh, market directors at the mm. time. So we had key directors and key markets. 
And uh, I think we had a team of about like 10, at, like when I first started, like it was, a, it, it was pretty small. Over the years, we've built that to a pretty robust field team. Though. Like if you think about field models, right? Yeah. I don't think anybody's done it better than what we did at Google. And that, that's not just my doing, that's you know, pioneers like Hagen and what he did on the franchise side, the corporate team and how we kind of took that model on and how we dual service the GMT and the vitamin shop before any brand was really doing mm-hmm. it. Um, and, you know, at the time, it was really about establishing relationships. It was about training them on the product and just kind of getting the fundamentals out there because most people had never met anyone from the brand. But as soon as we got that model off the ground, everyone was replicating it. BPI replicated it. You saw, um, you know, uh, performance do it in a big way. You've got a few others that are still doing it today, much smaller capacity. But that was a really interesting, like, time in the space where for about five to six years, everyone was trying to figure out, like, how they could drive product training and education and also win at the register with the consumer. And that was something that we did really well from our from our efforts at HQ, uh, from a marketing uh, perspective, to what we were doing at the ground level. I will say this. When I broke into the space officially in 2014 with Supplement Warehouse, uh, Justin and and Ben, uh, old school people mm-hmm. at Nutribolt, who have now gone off and done bigger things, which we're going to talk about in a second, like, at the Olympia, we went out. You guys bankrolled a, a party. It was awesome. I mean, Nutribolt was the brand to kick it with. You guys took care of your customers. That, I mean, part of that, man, had to bring you back to some of your minor league baseball days, just being able to go out with some retailers and just have a good time, right? Oh, man, it was the best part of the job because, you know, at, at one at, at one level, yes, you're doing product training and building relationships one-on-one. At the other, a lot of what my job was was entertaining mm-hmm. and taking, you know, large groups of folks and doing really cool things. Like I remember renting out Lambeau Field and doing a meeting with three regions of GNC folks, like 90 people, presenting in the you know in a room at Lambeau, doing a field tour, all that. Uh, how we did it at Miller Park there in uh, Milwaukee. Yep. So yeah, I'm not a Brewers fan, but I you know I'll, I'll go visit the stadium. And uh, you know those are the fun things that um you know kind of take you back and like you know those are the memories that we have for sure and it, i mean they don't happen like they used to i think the the advent of social media and cell phones kind of limits some of the yeah. fun that the boys and girls could have um when i was at sw in 2014 there was a lot of talk about this new crazy pre-workout called c4 it was starting to gain some steam maybe and was c4 the first pre-workout to contain dmha dmaa outside of i mean i think there was jack but isn't that how it started? I mean, at that time, yeah. everything was, it was fair game. There was no gray list, black list, whatever. I mean, but I believe they were one of the first brands to utilize it, right? And put its name on the map. We were, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, back then our formulator was Joey Savage yeah. too. So Joey just, I mean, everything we had was right on the edge. It was right on point. Um, he did a fantastic job at building products that consumers not, not only enjoyed, mm-hmm. but they tasted amazing. So like, the, the things that we had at, 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 like at our disposal was one, the ingredients were awesome. They hit hard, um, you know, drove a lot of repeat, but the flavor right. system kind of kicked us into another, you know, um, another area there. I find it interesting that I feel like today, the first pre-workout that everybody ever takes in their life now is C4. Maybe it's because it's the availability at Costco or Walmart, but everyone, when you talk to them, hey, what was your first pre-workout? Back in the day, for me, it was like, oh, my first pre-workout was, you know, Super Pump or Jacked or whatever. Now it's C4. And you were part of that process and building that from its infancy with Joey and the team there. When you look back at your time at Nutribullet and what you guys were able to do as a core team and build that brand into the Megatron that it is today, like, what are some yeah. of the key takeaways for you that allowed you guys to be successful? 
Well, you know, it's, I think it's interesting because, you know, as we, as we scale, right, you enter new phases of the business, right? And I would tell folks, like, the team that gets you from 100 million is not the team that probably gets you to 200 million and vice versa, like, on and on, yeah. right? What I thought was really interesting was, one, the amount of trust that we would put in the team, even if we didn't always know exactly what we were doing. Like, to be honest, a lot of us got in at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have the professional expertise that some of the folks in that building do now. What we did really smart, though, is we applied the right uh, hires and new roles uh, appropriately uh, to help scale the expertise within the building. Uh, you know, year over year, we were consistently bringing in new talent, whether it was a new CMO or CFO, whichever it would be. And, um, you know, that new talent kind of pushed the, uh, the legacy guys forward. Now, not everybody remained, mm-hmm. but uh, I think the level of trust that that team uh, put in each other and still does today, it's, it's a great team. Like they have a great system, great culture. Um, I think that's what's honestly separated them apart and helped them continue to scale. Because you have to have a lot of trust to be able to run that fast and that hard for as long as they have. I was going to say people. I, I you know that I think that was your number sure. one asset as a brand because you look at the industry now as a whole and some of the most successful people or, or guys and girls who have done well for themselves came from that family. You look at Dan. Oh, yeah, no Dan, doubt. Dan from Ghost spent time there. Joey now at Glaxon. You got, I think Justin's with um, the functional food company at some sort right now, right? He's with Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Ben's over at Diamondize. I mean, you're obviously moved on. Um, I mean, it's there's a lot of for lack of a term, like legends who helped build that, took that expertise and went off. So that begs the question there. And like, you're at, you're on this, you're at this brand. It's doing massive dollars amounts to the point, point where Dr. Pepper Keurig invests a very large amount of money and you bounce. Yep. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but you, you decide to take your talents, um, you know, Huntington beach, Boise, Idaho, whatever you want to call it to a brand, <laughs> brand called caged hard decision. Uh, it, it was a tough decision, uh, just in the sense of like uh, a lot of comfort and familiarity with where I was, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I have great relationships at Nutribol, so that wasn't an easy change um, in that sense. Um, and the other, you know, aspect, it was simple in the sense of I did it as a move for my family. Okay. And what I was looking for was just something that um, Nutribol couldn't offer, which is time with my family. I have three kids, nine, seven, and five, and the amount of time that I was putting in was was not allowing me to be the father that I wanted to be and or or maybe even the husband too but um you know Heather's always supported me no matter what I do sure. but for for me it was trying to find a opportunity to kind of pull some things back reassess where I'm at because I have three kids right in the thick of it yep. and also be with a brand that I use their product I believe in what they're doing and I love what they had going on prior to joining to me, that made that an easy decision, but it's always, you know, a little nerve wracking when you're going from one to the other, especially since I've been at Nutribolt for 10 years. Yeah. And then, you know, how do you keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on when you're so busy and being pulled in multiple different directions at Nutribolt to discover a brand like Cage? I mean, obviously this can happen multiple ways. The brands can pursue you. You can pursue them. We don't need to talk about that. But I mean, you would have your essentially, uh, if you knew you were going to leave Nutribolt because you want to make a better decision for your family, you would have had a pick of the litter. So what was it about Cage specifically, um, you know, more so than family? Was it, was it culture? Was it products? Was it opportunity? Like, was there something that really professionally stood out to you that's like, I can, I can take this brand from where it is today to here? Yeah, two things. Uh, so let me start with people because to me, 
wouldn't join a company if I didn't believe in the team there. They've, Cage has a great team. Like they are digital experts, uh, and from, you know, operations to, uh, digital to e-com to what they have going on on the, uh, you know, finance side. Like they're, they're, they're very well buttoned up. Like that team between Brian, Michael, Matt, and a few others, like they're, they're super buttoned up, right? Right. Uh, so people is one thing. Uh, the other was I look at where they were in the marketplace. And if you look at their, their strengths and what they're doing, it's hard to uncover exactly what they're doing because they don't report in like an IRI or SINs and syndicated data outside of like a vitamin shop. And I love that because it showed me that one, they were, you know, still kind of in the infancy stage of retail, which is great. But if you really peel back that onion, you look at their digital strength, their community is insanely strong. Their D2C is, um, you know, stronger than most brands. That I've, I mean, know, their D2C is what's paying the bills. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Amazon is scaling in a massive way. I mean, it's shocking to look at how well they've done digital and what that does as it positions you for the right retail partnerships. Like it's not a brand that needs to go everywhere or nor do we want to. Um, but I think it gives us an opportunity to be really thoughtful and strategic. So it gave me confidence that yes, this is a brand I can lead because coming from, you know, the role that I was in at Nutrivolt to this, it is a little bit different. You know, I'm leading a much larger part of the organization and that, that, you know, commercial roadmap is now basically Brian, Michael and myself sitting down and coming through where we see those voids and what makes sense for the brand. And that's also been a really fun part of the business too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and a lot of people, when they look at Cage, they think of Chris Gethin, right? Like rightfully so. Sure. There from the beginning, I think a lot of people thought Chris was a CEO running this business. And the fact is, I mean, for the last couple of years, he, he wasn't. Um, but recently departed from the brand. You and I have had conversations about this. Um, a lot of people pointed the finger at, at leadership at cage, right? The the loyalists and Chris Gethin are going to point the finger saying you guys drove them out. Then they start assuming that the products are going to shit. What type of, I mean, we covered it. Price Paul covered it. What can you say about the relationship with Chris Gethin and cage and the move forward plan? Yeah. So figured this was going to come up at some point. You wouldn't give me a script, right? I asked you yesterday. For anyone who's listening, I said, Ryan, send me a couple of questions. This is prep. He said, F no, not doing it. Don't do it that Uh, way. It's all shooting from the hip. But I figured it would come up. You know, one of the things I'll say is I believe that that departure was well on its way and underway before I ever stepped into the brand. Sure. You guys think I've been here now about six months uh, or so. And, um, you know, go back to the rebrand where caged muscle went from that two-word two caged muscle to cage. And cage basically went beyond muscle. And that was kind of the starting point, in my opinion, as to like where the line started to probably separate a little bit for the two. Um, and I think from a, um, you know, from, from where our brand sits today, like, you know, and Chris's as well, I think both are in a better place, to be honest. Like the one thing that I can say is that I think it's been good for both sides. I think Chris is going to do some amazing things, mm-hmm. knowing just how strong his personal brand is and some of the um, things that he's gotten into. But Cage has also evolved. And, you know, our, our motto and our mantra is never stop evolving. Right. And that's a big part of where our brand is heading. And, you know, our, our consumer base has uh, clearly widened over the last two years. If you look at the growth um, from where Cage muscle was to where Cage is today, most of that growth has happened in the last 18 months. And that's because we've widened our consumer reach our digital platforms have really scaled and our retail partnerships are really strong. 
But the product has also evolved. You know, from a packaging standpoint, we've gone to a very minimalist looking feel. We still stand for all the same things that we did from the legacy perspective of how Cage Muscle was founded. Um, but the, the two founders were Michael and, and Brian. And yes, Chris was a part of that uh, initial, um, you know, initial group there. But I, I do think that there's there's probably some blurred lines in between where that was. But uh, it's been a great move for our brand, um, you know, and we wish Chris the, the very best. Um, you know, our, our PR team and, and, and marketing team put out some messages there. I don't think there's any hard feelings uh, on our side, and I don't think there's too much on his side either. I think it was just the right time. Yeah, I mean, if anything, right, like, I mean, for him, and I'm not gonna, I don't want to speak for him, but for me, like, if I was part of something, I, I you know, obviously there's gonna be the emotional separation standpoint, but you get over it. And you move on and you, yeah. you do your next big thing. And, and knowing Chris, the way that you've got to know him over the last six months and what I know him is he's a passionate dude. He'll, 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 he'll run right into the next thing he's yeah. doing and he'll do a great job at it. Um, you know, and as a brand, you guys obviously are focusing a lot more on the curation of educational content, whether it's working with us or our friends at price Plow or some of the other bigger personalities within the space. Can you share any of that of, mm-hmm. of, what you guys are doing is evolving as a brand and some of the different maybe partnerships that you're establishing within the education field? Uh, yeah, I can, I can give, uh, give you some details kind of at a high level. So, you know, one of the things that we've um, reestablished is, you know, how do we want to position our brand from a partnership uh, perspective? And whether that's, you know, athletes or whether that's ambassadors or just within our community, one of the things that, you know, we believe is, needed in the industry is education and more of it, right? And so, you know, we are looking at and we've we've entered some strategic partnerships with some real thought leaders, whether it's on the podcast side of it or whether it is more on the university side of it. We've definitely got some um some big names that are going to step into the brand and going to help not just validate some of the um you know some of the product positioning that we have going because we have some new formulations, we have some big innovation announcements that are going to be uh, probably leaking in the next month or two, honestly. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 once we built out that roadmap and we started to engage, that also made us feel a lot better about, like, where the brand was heading, not just from a product side, but how we actually, like, educate the wider net um, of what we're doing, why we're doing it. And the one thing that we will not do is compromise on formulation. That is something that Cage will never do. If you know Brian Rand, I call him the godfather of formulators. He's a mad scientist, quirky guy, but um, one of the best in the industry. And he will not allow us to compromise any of our formulations. The challenge will be as we seek those new and exciting ingredients, yeah. how do we really market them in a way that um, you know the average person can understand? Which, right? I mean, full, full transparency, they can't. You know, I mean, it's because ingredient companies do a really bad job or don't do their part of the end of, of marketing it. And we... You know, as, yeah. as awesome as we love ourselves and who we touch, we only touch a certain portion of the population. You know, people walk into a vitamin shop or a GNC may have never heard of us before. So they'd be looking at things and like, you know, this isn't worth it for me because of the price premium. But it, it is. It's just our job as a community to help continue to educate. Um, I like that you're partnering with Thought Leaders and some different podcasts. The other question is being a, a former athlete, current athlete yourself, is you look at what, you know, the NCAA has done now with NLI and allowing student athletes to make compensation and make money. You obviously are are behind a brand now that's very much big into the testing policies of, of professional sports and making sure you're making clean products. What is that viewpoint for you guys as an organization approaching NLI and saying like maybe we want some volleyball players from this 
you know, campus or, or get a big-time quarterback at Alabama or whatever it is? Is that something that's on the table for Cage? Yeah, we've actually talked a lot about uh, NIL deals. Um, you know, NIL has grown a lot, right? Uh, whether it's in our space or whether it's um, just in the CPG space abroad, it's definitely grown. Uh, I think I, I read an article yesterday, Arch Manning, quarterback of Texas, He's going to make $3.2 million on NIL this year. And I don't even know if he'll take a snap. We don't know. Yeah. Um, it's pretty wild. But, yes, um, we are looking at NIL. We're going to look at regional opportunities where it makes sense uh, for us, whether that's based on retail partnerships or whether it's based on experiential activations that we're planning. Um, one of the more exciting things that we're doing is actually partnering with the MLB and partnering with um, strength and conditioning coaches abroad to actually show up at – a lot of the camps um, so that we can get our, not just our products in their clubhouses and whatnot, but honestly be a voice for, um, you know, testing abroad and, and being a, a compliant product because we are informed sport. Uh, we're sport certified. So, you, you know, for us, we, it's something that we, we take seriously, but we're also very proud of it. Talk to me about some of the formulation stuff. You guys just came out with mindset, both a stim and non-stim version. We love it. My wife, who is breastfeeding now after after pregnancy, has been using the non-stim version. We're out, by the way, Darren, just FYI, uh, if you're listening. Um, but this this space, it's ever-changing, right? One day, an ingredient is deemed safe. It's cross-certified. The next day, a study comes out saying it's potentially harmful long-term. Alpha GPC now in the news, being one of those ingredients, which I love. But now some of these, you know, things coming out on it saying, hey, let's pump the brakes here a little bit. It's not, it's not, um, you, you can't use it in the EU anymore, I believe, or they're banning it over there. Some studies coming out saying yeah. there's some long-term negative health impacts on it. As a brand that, you know, created this brand new awesome product formula, and that's one of the hero ingredients in it. How do you approach that in conversational pieces with Brian and the team behind the scenes saying, what do we do here? Yeah, so, you know, this news actually broke kind of behind the scenes. I would say it's an honor. We kind of heard some snippets of it. Um, I would say Darren and I were very reactionary to like text Brian and say, hey, here's what we're hearing. Yep. We should look into it. Now, we have looked into those studies and we've actually had our, you know, our raw material providers and our legal team provide a lot of different documents that make us feel really good about what we're doing today okay. um, based on the dosages and based on the directions that we're giving. If you look at some of those studies and some of those examples, you know, there, there's, you know, overuse, it's an right. aging population, it's at risk, right? But does that mean that it's unsafe? I don't think so today. We cannot substantiate that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's funny, I was talking with a, a supplier this morning and they asked me a very similar question. And I just said, well, look at all the big boys of CPG right now. You have Unilever, a large CPG conglomerate, and they have some of the largest uh, nootropic companies in their umbrella is using Alpha GPC. They're not moving it. So, you know, we probably won't make that move right away. What we will do is continue to look at, from the sourcing standpoint, what would a next iteration look like uh, in case that move has to be made. Um, but two, we want to stand behind the you know products that we make. And so we have a lot of information and data that's going to come out um, that will help better substantiate why we're using it, uh, why we're still using it, even though there are going to be some brands and some strong brands mm -hmm. that are moving away. And I respect that too. Yeah, and I think that's the, to your point, like, there's a lot of reactionary stuff in the space. I remember um, Norvaline, for example, an in vitro study came out. Oh, of Norvaline, yeah. Right. And everybody removed it. Well, it was, think about, I, mean, I think mm -hmm. everybody reads the cliff notes and they just quick to do something. And then they, you know, the, they leverage the headline without reading deeper into it. But we are in a space where we're seeing some, I'll call it overstepping from the government in terms of FDA and saying like these said ingredients, yep. um, you know, are, are NAD, for example, and some of these awesome ingredients that are out there for anti-aging and the government stepping in saying, nope, 
can't do it anymore. Frustrating for you guys as a brand looking into some of these ingredients and just not knowing when the government's going to overreach, grab it, and pull it away from you? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, it's probably a better question for Brian, the formulator. I think he, you know, I would I would say from, from his perspective, yeah, it is a little frustrating, particularly when you feel like you have a lot of data and validation behind it. Um, it, it, it you know, we want to make sure that whatever it is we're making is safe and effective. We also want to make sure we can produce it for the long term, right. you know, long term, right? Um, so there's a little bit of unknowns in that. You guys have some big plans later this year for Caged. I believe some of it's been shared on social. Uh, at least they've been asked in Q&As. So uh, people who follow yeah. us know about it. Food. Um, we've been asked about caged food, snacks, functional. What can you share from the lion's mouth on what you guys are doing as a brand in the food categories? So there's a couple things that we're doing that is different for the brand in general. So let me start with partnerships and collaborations because that's usually the first thing that people say is, when are you going to do a partnership? When are you going to do a collaboration? I've made it very clear that we will do those, but we're extremely, um, extremely thoughtful in how we're doing it. Um, we are all about consum- consumption with a conscience, and we want to make sure who we partner with is truly a better for you partnership and helps raise the bar there and takes the, you know, kind of takes it a step further. Um, we also don't want to oversaturate our product lines with collabs, right? Mm-hmm. That's the leader, so we don't necessarily want to do that. But we have some ex- extremely exciting collaborations that are CPG food-driven that will eventually find its way into the Cage brand, and that could be in a couple different formats. Uh, so that's one area of excitement that the team um, has been, you know, thrilled about, uh, retail partners thrilled about, et cetera. The other is the functional food aspect. So when I first stepped in uh, to Cage, um, Brian and Michael and the team let me know we, that, that it was their it was their vision to launch a food line, a functional food line. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a, a couple of different versions of how we wanted to do that. And I think my very first day in the office was sampling a lot of different things. Uh, it was a lot to take in. And at first I was like, we gotta pump the brakes here, guys. There's a whole lot going on. Over time, I've really um, kind of gravitated to the way that we're thinking about it and, and helped probably navigate us in a little bit different path too from a distribution stance so that we understand where we wanna take it and how we wanna drive it. Um, but we're gonna launch two functional food formats uh, in Q3. We're actually gonna be debuting them at the upcoming GMT franchise convention which is May 8th to the 10th in Las Vegas. So we're super excited to be the first time anyone's ever really tried them outside of some of our retail partners on the merchant side. Um, But honestly, I've I've never seen a merchant team react the way that these teams have reacted. Uh, It's incredible. Like the feedback has been great. We've made a few positive improvements along the way. And from a manufacturing standpoint, we've got some real innovation. I think there's, there's two things. One, you know, you look at protein bars and what's the next gen of a protein bar look like. That's kind of like your classic food. It's, it's you know, probably the largest net, but at the same time, it's a very stale category. It's not growing uh, at a high clip right now, single digits. Um, that is something that Brian did an amazing job at formulating what we're, what we're kind of dubbing as like this cleaner, better for you version mm-hmm. of the protein bar. We'll call it. But it's a protein bar that honestly has all the specs for a whole food but it tastes like a bar that you would find on specialty. And I think that's what's so cool about it is anybody can take that bar. And so I, I kind of term it as like, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a sideline to sideline bar. Athletes can take it, parents, kids, everyone can take this bar. And that's what's super exciting for me. And it has 12 months shelf life. So again, thinking through like, can it sustain? It, it, it can. And then we have another format that 
uh, is going to kind of move the uh, move the food space forward a little bit. You know, you look at what Legendary's done with cinnamon rolls and pop tarts. Their cinnamon rolls amazing. My wife ate one the other day, and she's like, "This thing is great." Um, then you look at what AP's done with the brownie, and now Redcon with the brookie. There's so much cool things happening. Um, you know, we had to find our own like path that was not going to one dilute the innovation that's coming through and continue to move it forward. So we have like you know your core staple, and then we have something that's going to move it forward a little bit. It's going to be fun. And, um, you know, we'll have two different formats that are going to be launching right around the September time. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, since you came from a company in which somehow created this, they had a crazy idea to create a beverage, that this beverage ended up being top 10, top five in the country. Are we going to see Cage Energy at any point? <laughs> That's usually the first question I get coming from people. Like, well, you know, is the Cage Energy drink coming? Uh, the answer is no. There you go. Um, we're, not, we're, we're not making an energy drink. Um, would we ever get into beverage though? That's a possibility. We are exploring like what that path would be. Um, but we're not a brand that wants to make an energy drink. Um, so we're, we, we don't actually have that on the roadmap right now. All right. Let's, we're, we, we have a couple minutes left here. I want to finish things off talking about fatherhood a little bit. Cause obviously you're a passionate father and, and I am as well. You have three kids. I have three kids. Um, you coach youth sports. Who's, who's actually worse? The athletes or the parents on these youth sports things, by the way. Oh, it's definitely the parents, man. It's awful. And it's funny because I, I coach, I coach six youth softball, which is, that's delightful, by the way. Yeah. Coaching softball and coaching girls, it's delightful. Eight youth baseball is the absolute worst age to coach because it's all the parents screaming and yelling at their kids. And then 10 youth, it starts to actually look like baseball again, mm -hmm. um, which has been really nice for my, for my older son. But my middle child, Isaac, is right in the thick of what it is like just a screaming parental fest uh, of kids just, it, and it just causes so much anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we literally had an example of a kid hit a baseball, tipped it to the second baseman, and not only are the coaches on the other team screaming, but the parents are screaming so much that my player stopped halfway between home and first and was just looking at the stands as to what he was doing wrong. Now he got thrown out, but it was the anxiety that caused him to stop. And it's like, you know, that you'll see that numerous times throughout a game where it's just driving up. You talked earlier about your life at Nutribolt and, and early in your career being very busy. Any regrets? Did you miss anything of your kids that you wish you could get back? Uh, yeah. You know, the early, so the early days were, were, were honestly very tough. Um, I was talking with my neighbor who just had a son, son's now three months. And we were talking about like, what is, what's this like in those early days? And I, I gave him some examples, especially with my firstborn, where I probably missed six months of his first 12 months of life. Uh, and that's just because I was traveling. I was, this was back when we were on the, you know, pre-COVID, we were on a plane, we we're going to retail meetings constantly, we we're doing regional meetings. Um, we were doing all kinds of activations. And at that time, like, that was a really busy time for Nutribowl. I think it was needed. And, I, you know, it wasn't just myself. This was a company thing. You know, anyone that was at Nutribowl, uh, within those, like, you know, I, I would say the, the 2014, 2015, 2016 years, understand it was an absolute grind for everybody. But there was a lot of benefits and a lot of rewards at the end of that tunnel for those that put in the time. But the sacrifices were you missed out time with your family. Uh, marriage could have been a little bit better early on as well. Learn some tough things there. I've been married, uh, this is my, uh, this year in July, I'll celebrate my 15th year uh, being married to my wife. And ups and downs of that, right? Especially uh, when you're home and you're gone, you're home and you're gone. So the early days um, were, were definitely tough. I, I give a lot of advice to, you know, friends and, and people that uh, ask uh, what it's like to have three kids and what regrets do you have? And my, my 
advice is just to be present, honestly. I was going to ask you that. Super question. hard to do. Yeah, how, how do you do it? I mean, we got these $1,200 devices in our pocket with us attached at the hip at all times, constantly scrolling on social or constantly reading emails, and you're in a, in a leadership role with another company. So how do you, do you do like a No Tech Tuesday? Do you, do you put Do Not Disturb on, or how do you, how do you allow yourself to be present both as a husband and as a father? Yeah, I don't do the do not disturb thing. Um, I, it's just because I can't, haven't figured it out yet. I'm not very tech savvy, so I got to figure out how to use that button. Uh, but um, I also find it funny when somebody has that on and they still text me right back, which is kind of funny. Um, but w- the, what we try to establish, I wouldn't say this is perfect. What we try to establish, especially because you know I work from home, and so when I work from home, you know, office, I leave my cell phone in the office plugged in. So at least from like the hours of let's call it like six to eight, which is like dinner, bedtime, phones in there. So it's really hard to probably get a hold of me at that time. The challenge always is, will I go pick that phone back up? And the answer is more often than not, yes, I do. Um, but those boundaries are super important. You know, I, I put the phone in, in the, the, the bag when I'm, when I'm coaching my kids so that I'm present with the kids and all that. Um, and in, in the mornings, I've established a better routine, I would say, than, than previously. Um, where the phone is not the first thing that I grab. I used to kind of gravitate to email, for sure email, mm-hmm. uh, early, first thing in the morning, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Now you probably don't see me on email until about 8 a.m., and that's because I'm kind of getting through, you know, my cardio, my weight training, whatever I'm doing there, and then I, I'm the one that cooks breakfast in this house. I don't cook anything else, but I would love a mean breakfast, so I always make sure that I have that time with the kids. I want to end the podcast by first saying, or by saying congratulations on Wegmans. I think that's a big deal. Um, you know, people who don't know Wegmans, it's the most influential retailer in the country when it comes to the grocery yeah. FDM. Um, it just is. I mean, they're, they're, they're fantastic. You guys have plans to grow cage into multiple other retailers. I know you have a, a list of meetings and we're going to see cage pop up in a lot of different places here this year. And again, you know, rolling into next year as these category review schedules are kind of crazy. So kudos to you. Kudos to your team. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. And um, maybe maybe you and I can go do a natural. I can't do a natural bodybuilding show. Who am I fucking kidding? But maybe we can go do, you a, can do, we can go do an NPC show together someday. Us old bastards. Throw me, throw me on some TRT and I'll, I'll do it with you, all right? <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. You got it, man. See you, Ryan.